Hey there, I'm Mike. Some of you know me from the Twisted Cape. Some of you know me because I know that I can't take no more. It ain't no lie. I want to see you out that door, baby, bye, bye, bye. But regardless of how you know me, you know that I love comics, and that's what we talk about on this podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Mike's Big Stack. Oh, hell yeah, my thickies. Welcome to the show, everyone, recording this week at the Thickness Seam. Up front, some housekeeping. This is the final week for the first Mike's Thick Stack Attack, so I want to make sure you check out the rules at thetwistedcape.com for Mike's Thick Stack Attack, and you get a shot at the sweet prize, which I'm going to post a picture of later on Instagram and on Twitter and on Facebook. Get that prize. Additionally, I want to apologize for the delay. I had a plumbing emergency and had to demo a good chunk of my bathroom, which is now leading to an out-and-out remodel. Real quick before the shout-outs, there's still injustice out there in the streets. You've likely seen much of it on the news, so I just wanted to take a moment to remind you to register to vote and do so by mail if you can in your state, and hopefully we can change the world we live in. Now, here come your shout-outs this week some California love going out to Anaheim, San Jose, and Oakland. Thank you so much. Thanks to our Potsdam PA friends. Y'all are the best. Welcome in, Hollywood, Florida. Appreciate you checking us out, Lawton, Oklahoma. And last but not least, thank you, Jacksonville, Florida, for listening to the show. I do want to note the high quality of variant covers this week, and baby, I bought a ton of them. Alright, as always, we start burning the thickness of my stack, so pop, lock, and drop it while we check out Mike's Thickometer. Oh yeah, Mike's Thickometer. Thick like milk you find in a kid's cup left on your sun porch or in your car on a summer day and you don't know how long it's been there. Parents, you know what I mean. This week clocks in at an 8 out of 10 on Mike's Thickometer. When it's this thick, all you can do is spread your arms and live in the glory of the thickness. Don't fight it. Let it in. Bathe in it. Make it a part of you. Uh, just a quick note, Suicide Squad number 8 did release, but I'm still catching up on that, so I'll get that included soon. In case you're curious, the stack this week leans a little bit to the DC side. I know we were supposed to get an interview this week as well, but even that had to get delayed thanks to my bathroom uh, mishap, so hopefully we get to that next week. This week, we begin with the Marvel books, starting with Amazing Spider-Man number 47. I gave this a 4 out of 5. This is part 3 of the Sins Rising arc, and the tone here is fairly intense, and we'll call this round 2 for Spidey. There's some narration up front by the Sin Eater from a video manifesto recorded by Nora Winters, who totally didn't die from last issue. As a matter of fact, she's the one that shot Sin Eater, who was looking to get his message out. Despite... A conversation about the ethics of putting this madman's vision out with J. Jonah Jameson, she releases it on the internet. He goes around taking out, quote, bad, unquote, people and offers the power to other people in the city. This doesn't sit well with Pete, who's still with Carly and Overdrive in the hospital. Carly explains what happened when Overdrive woke up in the morgue and he and he was attacked by members of the, of the police. Spidey infiltrates a Sin Eater convention i guess we call it and confronts sin eater only to get wild by him he possesses all the powers of all the lethal legion and just wipes the floor with spidey 
Ravencroft, the insane asylum, erupts into chaos, and the, the inmates say that Sin Eater is coming for Norman Osborn. This could get interesting real quick. I like that it feels like Pete is a guest in his own book to tell this tale. I almost miss how Sin Eater was just a guy who was awful, not some powered-up lunatic, and it works for this story. I'm sure it'll pay off later as the story develops, but I am genuinely curious about where it goes. I also love the art style. I'll admit, I'm not always a fan of Spider- the Spider-Man design in this book, but the expressive spidey eyes are always a win to me. Alright, moving on to Daredevil Annual number 1. I gave this a 4 out of 5. This story is wild and exactly what I like about Zdarsky's run on Daredevil. This book follows Mike Murdock, Matt's twin brother, who doesn't actually exist. The character is just an empty shell that was created and is running with the hood at the request of Wilson Fisk to complete some jobs. He steals a Nornstone from the hood and through other channels gets the Black Cat to steal the the Necro Nordic, which he uses to make himself a real person and rewrites basically Daredevil's history. Most of the rest of this book is set on zipping us through time, filling us in on the gaps about his relationship with Batlin Jack Murdoch, Matt Murdoch, as well as Daredevil. The last exchange with Daredevil in a gym leads to Mike embracing and talking with a guy named Butch, who turns out to be Wilson Fisk's son as they plot out taking what used to be kingpins. This is what annuals are to me. Something that happens in continuity that's different from the main story, but has crazy batshit nonsense happening that somehow affects everything else happening in continuity right now. I'm all about Daredevil right now anyway, and but this book right here is damn good and apparently is a serious part of Chip's overall plan. So I'm going to go ahead and make this my Marvel book of the week. Next we have Empire Avengers number 3, the final chapter in that saga i gave that a three out of five this issue follows the multiple teams of avengers seeking to repel the kotati invasion if you remember kazar was killed at the end of the last issue for starters kazar ends up not dying after the cliffhanger from last week we'll get to that in just a minute vision luke cage dr nemesis take on a juiced up plant man in manhattan when they emerge victorious they attempt to contact t'challa and they can't in New Mexico, Mockingbird, Wonder Man, and Quicksilver work on keeping the Kree and Skrulls from killing each other and causing a ton of collateral damage. Back in the Savage Land, the Avengers push back the Kotati with help from some of the Savage Land's inhabitants, read that as dinosaurs, but their victory is short-lived when Shuri calls in the Avengers to Wakanda with great urgency. Now, as far as Kazar, Shanna, Scarlet Witch, and Brother Voodoo, as well as the mystical nature of the Savage Land, restore Kazar about halfway through the issue. When this is all done, we'll do the first story recap of a big event, but I overall thought that as an event tie-in, this book in particular felt just like an unfocused money grab. I'll see if it has any significance when Empire 6 releases, but at this point this book was really not worth a lot of the time and the effort. It didn't have enough time and space to make any of the other stories as fun as they could have been. That said, it looks incredible. It's probably one of the best drawn and detailed books that released this week. I'd love to see more uh, from uh, Carlos Magno in Avengers very soon. Next up, we have Empire, Captain America number three, the final issue in this series. I give this a three out of five. Again, this tie-in leans in on what Cap does best, mobilize troops and overcome the odds. 
The biggest concern is the giant Katani monster reaching the fault line in Mexico because it has the size and ability to do some serious damage. Cap is an absolute badass up until and during the battle with Shikanf. Or Quanth. I'm not I'm still not sure. Cap knocks the wand controlling the monster out of Shikanth's hands, and the monster crumbles to bits as they tumble to Earth. Cap is seemingly lost and then discovered a full day later and briefly discovers that they've won, and then that immediately gets soured by him being told that something big is happening in Wakanda. Overall, this story has been about uniting against a giant, seemingly unstoppable enemy to overcome the odds, a nice metaphor for coronavirus. Again, a fun story, but not necessary for the overall conflict. But we'll come back to that at a later date. I think the writer on this book, Philip Kennedy Johnson, seems to get Steve Rogers and what makes it tick. The art seems just okay in this book. I'm not really a huge fan of it. There are a bunch of faraway panels without a ton of detail, but when the detail is there, it looks good. I'd like to see more in that department from this book. Next up, we have Fantastic Four Antithesis number one. It's a quick miniseries. I think it's like four issues long. I give this three and a half out of five. This is a throwback era story that tells a, quote, lost, unquote, Fantastic Four story, and it starts with a bang. Fantastic Four is battling Annihilus, one of my favorite villains, and they eventually dispatch him back to the negative zone. This book seems to be largely about Reed's failings, as and they're brought up basically constantly, especially by Sue. She has to show up naked in his lab, which is a hilarious panel, by the way, just to get his attention. I like how Reed is written in a way that makes him less omniscient and more human. The Fantastic Four have to spring back into action to deflect a meteor hurling at Manhattan, which they largely do because of Sue using her force fields. They, they deflect it, but they do discover that that meteor is actually Silver Surfer and that Galactus is dead. I am seriously enjoying some aspects of this book, but others, not so much. The art in this book can be jarring, especially when considering the teeth of one Benjamin Grimm. I'm not a fan of this style of design for the thing. Mark Wade definitely understands and writes a well-thought-out dynamic for Marvel's first family, though. This feels like a grand adventure starting, which is perfect for people who may be new to the Fantastic Four. All right, next up we have Iron Man 2020 number six, the final issue here in this series. I gave this a two and a half out of five. This is the end of the series for Iron Man, and it's weird to say this, but I'm happy it's over. I didn't like a lot of the series, but I'll come back to that another time. Up until about halfway through this book, it's all about Tony, Arno, and the rest of the robots going out of their way to stop this extinction-level event that Arno kept talking about. A little more than halfway through the book, you find out that it's really just a big red herring and Arno's been put back in an iron lung type of stasis by Tony and that he holographically faked the monster he convinces his parents they're not really his parents whatever to join Arno in the simulation in the wrap-up we find out Tony has been Tony all along not a simulation his questions about who he was were a defect in the genetically crafted body that he had had These defects are also why Rhodey was so claustrophobic in his War Machine armor. Machine Man and Jocasta start their life together over again, and Tony gives Stark Enterprises over to Andy Bong as Tony starts to become a futurist again. While I'm not crazy about this story, I thought the art in the book popped, especially that hard light armor, which was badass. I do look forward to the future of this title with a new creative team. 
Finally here, X-Men number 11. I give this a three and a half out of five. This book rests heavily on Magneto's shoulders, and sometimes you forget how much of a badass he really is. It's still an Empire tie-in, but it's not the X-Men Empire tie-in. This book shows why you don't fuck with Magneto like the Empire tie-in shows why you didn't fuck with Ileana Rasputin. Eric almost single-handedly turns the tide of the battle versus the Kotati. He does some smart maneuvering around the supercooled magma and satellites orbiting the Earth, which is just masterful. This book is really a nice package. Wrapping up the Empire portion for the X-Men, I think. I'm not sure. I think. We'll see what happens in X, uh, Empire number 6. Hopefully that's that's nice. Uh, it is just a fun way to look at the power available to Krakoa ahead of the X of Swords line crossover. I look forward to that one, though, a lot. All right, quick break. When we get back, we're going to do these DC titles. Hey, guys, this is Jesse at the Twisted Cape. We just wanted to take a moment to thank all of you amazing listeners of both the Twistcast and Mike's Thick Stack for your support over all these years. Just a friendly reminder to subscribe to our shows on your favorite podcasting platform because we're everywhere. Also, don't forget to like and rate the Twistcast wherever you listen. We do love our five-star ratings on Apple Podcasts and Podchaser. Don't forget to tell us what you like about the show in your review as well. And now, back to the show. Oh, yeah, we're back. Thanks to the bro for dropping that little ad for me. We're going to hit these DC titles now, though. Starting with Action Comics number 1024. I gave this a 4 out of 5. I have enjoyed this book more than the main Superman book because of its look at localized crime boss Marisol Leone, or Leone, I'm still not sure, as well as its street-level ties. At the beginning, the crew of Kryptonians are being tracked by Whisper for, for Leone. They know that they're being sought, so they're looking at a way to figure a way out. While this is happening, Melody Moore, the firefighter who that Clark has started a friendship as Superman uh, and has kind of just been in and out of the story, has been killed by Red Cloud. Meanwhile, the FBI is raiding the Daily Planet when Clark and the K-Squad, that's what I'm calling them, show up. But Clark realizes that something's wrong and goes and finds Melody's remains. It sets him off and he flies away quickly to scream or cry or whatever, but he comes across Super Supergirl and as he breaks down, Kara comes across Superman's K-Squad. They begin to look for blank spots they can't see and they find Whisper in an amazing panel. It's just all darkness each each superman s uh from each of the characters and just red heat vision angry eyes it's just brilliant the issue ends with leon preparing a counterpunch i love the game of chess being played here and now that clark is catching up there could be real problems for leon i have always been a fan of john ramita jr's work and that's the case here as well i know some people don't like it but damn it i do so there this book has been strong recently Moving on to Batgirl number 48, I gave this a 4 out of 5. This Joker War tie-in rolls on continues to be a well-written, well-drawn book. Bab starts out dreaming slash hallucinating and wakes up in a hospital bed, and her brother James is there watching over her. Her dad shows up, and James and the former commish get into it, almost minimizing that Barbara is right there, and she kicks them both out. As they leave, James tells his dad that he's different now and on his meds and getting the appropriate help and that James should do, that Jim should do the same. As an interlude, a red-haired woman gets kidnapped. This will be important later. Barbara calls Luke Fox to help with the imp- 
plant reinstallation, despite their momentary flirtations, she nudges him back into the friend zone, citing her relationship with Jason. Ice cold Babs. Ice cold. She gets back in the uniform and goes out on patrol. She responds to a police call and comes across Bullock examining a body that is dressed as Batgirl. I really enjoyed this book and I'm mad I didn't pick it up sooner. Babs just has so much going for her as a character and is written really well. She's a strong female presence and I like how badass she gets to be even from a wheelchair. I also love the art in this book because at times it reminds me of the White Knight series which is super cool. Moving on to Batman Superman number 11, I gave this a 3.5 out of 5. The conclusion to a quick ultra-humanite arc, Batman is being controlled by ultra-humanite to lure out Superman. Batman is still surgically attached to a bomb, and there's not much he can do to get out of it. As ultra-humanite goes to detonate Batman, Superman, quote, kills, unquote, Batman via heat vision directly to the chest. Superman goes hard at ultra-humanite in a big way, and as he gloats, Batman slaps him from behind, while Superman reveals that he shorted out the Wayne Tech chip that was discussed in the previous issue. Batman then cuts the power, shorting out the drone being used by Ultra Humanite, and they discover his brain floating in a jar, which they realize has been controlling the drones. Wrapping up the story, Bruce does a surgery on himself to remove the chip while Lucius and Clark look on. Superman has overseen the return of bodies to their proper graves, as well as a funeral for Atomic Skull, who actually rises from the grave at the end of the story. I enjoy this book generally. I like that it's a pre-Joker War post-identity reveal story because I feel like there's some ground to cover there and we don't we never really got that. Really nice art in this book too. Lots of clean designs, good line work, excellent colors. Can't complain at all. All right, next up we have Batman, Three Jokers. I gave this a four and a half out of five. Co DC book of the week. This was a hotly anticipated series and it didn't disappoint. The book centers on three members of the Bat family and how their lives have been affected by the Joker, Bruce, Barbara, and Jason. All three of them are investigating murders committed by three Jokers at once. Jason employs his own methods, which causes a mini-fight, and then they decide to work together. Meanwhile, all three Jokers have been together putting together a plan to steal chemicals to make a better Joker. The bats end up at an aquarium where they get into a big fight with a bunch of jokerized fish on the inside of the aquarium, which comes into play in the fight. They fight off all the henchmen and capture a joker. Batman leaves as Commissioner Gordon has another one cornered. So there's a tense series of pages that culminates in Jason shooting Joker in the head and Barbara leaves. She's super pissed at Jason. This was a wild ride. The art is tight, the story is driven, and the fact that it's only three issues long makes it special. So I'm very excited to see where the rest of this drive takes us. I just hope we don't get shortchanged. Moving on to Flash number 760, give this a three and a half out of five. This is part two of the finish line story, and thankfully it moves quickly. Ha ha ha, see what I did there. I know it's awful, but it's honest. Barry is working hard to reclaim his body as the rogues get second thoughts after they've been told to desecrate Nora Allen's grave. Meanwhile, the Flash family thwarts Thawne and then later his Legion of Zoom from doing what Thawne wanted. Inertia, a clone of Bart, tries to stop Barry in the Speed Force, but Barry refuses to fight him. And then Barry finds a way to break through and reclaim his body by escaping the starting line. 
But when he does, he frees Max and Jesse, and as they look to stand against the depleted Legion of Zoom, Thawne summons the rest of his allies. This has developed far faster than I expected when the story started, and I've quite enjoyed how it's changed as time has gone on. I'm hoping this showdown between Thawne and Barry is as big, epic, and consequential as it's been building to. I do like the art in this book. I'm not sure about the continued use of two different artists for the starting line versus regular reality, but it, it seemed to work. Next up, Justice League Dark, number 25. I gave this a 3.5 out of 5. The brilliance of this book to me is about how it keeps circling back to Zatanna and the Upside Down Man. It starts with a look back at one of the first times Zatanna used magic to restore Bunny to life, and her dad pays the price for her. While in current time, she and Diana are standing against the Upside Down Man. Next, Swamp Thing talks to Man Bat about what he needs to do with the research Man Bat has been conducting and Swampy's place with what he needs to do with the green. Simultaneously, Upside Down Man seems to get the upper hand on Zatanna and Diana as they're standing over and protecting Zatara, but he becomes ensnared by a juiced-up Swamp Thing. On the very last page, Detective Chimp is working on his side mission to find Constantine, who's been trapped and is being held in a bar. This book is still solid and becomes deeper the longer it goes on. I like how it's developed and its creepy-ass vibes, specifically the Upside Down Man. Okay, let's slide over to question. Deaths of Vic Sage, number four, final issue in this series. Gave this a four and a half out of five. This is the other co-DC book of the week. The story wrapped up in this trippy black label series in this issue vic confronts multiple lifetimes of vic charlie charles by confronting evil or the man with a thousand faces vic starts out questioning which version of him is the real him then we catch up with mira and wesley in wesley's mayor's office who are basically being held hostage by malik who right now is the man with a thousand faces vic finds his way to tot who makes a bargain that vic siege goes on air to quell the unrest in hub city and tot will then get an explosive device for the question vic goes so far as to call out all the injustice and reveals himself as the question on air and joins the fight by going to eliminate evil's lair or the man with a thousand faces lair in the aftermath of the explosion vic has a flashback where he sees the priest who utters a sentence from the very very beginning of the series basically telling him that he's nothing Vic wakes up and goes to save Mira and beats some police ass, but I'm not entirely sure they're cops or maybe just a private security force. Wesley ends up taking his own life, and Vic gets into a fight with a cop who let him in, who's now inhabited by evil, but gets killed by Mira. Question thinks that he's emerged victorious, but we see evil multiple places as the series ends with Question going off to continue to fight against evil. First of all, the art in this book is nothing short of perfection for the story being told. It's scratchy and gritty and pulls no punches. I love it. As for the story, it may get a little preachy at times, but holy fucking shit is it impactful. And the social struggles that happen in the background of this book are directly mirroring what we're dealing with right now as a country. Just an amazing parallel. I highly recommend picking this up. Now we're going to move to Teen Titans Annual number 2, 3.5 out of 5. I'm a little sad that this was an annual instead of the regular book. There's so much direct fallout from everything that's been happening, it picks up right where the last issue left off. Batman is confronting Robin and the Teen Titans when they're ambushed by Deathstroke, who has a rocket launcher. It leads to an 
epic showdown between Robin and Deathstroke, and when Robin goes on the ropes, his team steps in and steps up. As Damien is about to land the killing blow, Emiko steps in, taking a shot instead, allowing Slate to escape. Then Batman shows up, and there's a series of panels showing how Damien interacted with Alfred, and then Damien takes his anger out on Bruce, who refuses to fight back. It culminates with Damien ripping off the art and giving it to Bruce and leaving Batman as well as the Titans to be on his own. I love how this book has dealt with Alfred's loss more than any other book that I've read. It's emotional and gripping at times and action-packed. I look forward to a new direction for Damien and the Titans. The art in this book is really good as well. It's been really good and I'm hoping that that is something that does not change. Alright, finally here we have... Wonder Woman number 761, I give this a 3 out of 5. This story of a mysterious psychic continues in this issue. Another victim is taken as Diana is woken up from her mind-controlled state. Max Lord is there, setting Diana off, and rightfully so, but she's the last one on him to make sure he's there to help, not hurt. There's a reference to the crossover between the Justice League and Suicide Squad in there as well. Max eventually gets free of his inhibitor collar and sets Diana free from her mind control so she can stop the nuclear warhead launched by the victim early on in this issue. The issue ends by showing that Emma, the girl that's in uh, Diana's new apartment complex or whatever, is behind the mind controlling madness and seems to insinuate that she is Max Lord's daughter. I like this book a lot, but I feel like the development might be moving a bit more slowly here than I tend to enjoy. Otherwise, it's really good. Despite the change in artist, uh, the look of this book is still nice. It's not as nice as, as Janin made it, but that's a high bar to hit. As we start to wrap up, if you want to be on the show, hit me up at SpiderMike29. Looking ahead to next week, it's a bit more toned down, but that's okay if my sources are still accurate. Next week in DC, we get uh, Batman number 98. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, as that Joker War story goes on. As well as DC's Dead Planet number three. On the Marvel side, we get Empire number six, uh, as well as Wolverine number five. This is the final episode where the very first Mike Stick Stack Attack contest is live. So send those guesses to the Twisted Cape at gmail.com or at the Twisted Cape and or uh, Spider Mike twenty nine on Twitter if you're okay with it being public, or just slide in the DMs if that makes you more comfortable. That is all the time we have for this week. Of course, make sure you're subscribed to The Twisted Cape on your favorite podcast platform. We're at The Twisted Cape. No spaces on every social media platform. Facebook, the Gram, Twitter, YouTube. I have to check on our Twitch, but I'm pretty sure it's there too because I'm going to be playing the Avengers game live on Twitch. Make sure you tune in weekly on Wednesday to The Twisted Cape's live show on Facebook and or YouTube and live in them comments. We go over them at the end and during each show. Finally, feel free to shoot us some feedback on this show to the twisty cape at gmail.com and make sure you use the subject line MTS. Thanks for tuning in. So until next time, don't want to be a fool for you. Just another player in your game for two. You may hate me, but it ain't no lie. Baby, bye, bye, bye. Stay safe. Wear a mask. Stay twisted. Big stack.